You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Locked On SEC Podcast. It's great to have you along on today's show. Ryan McGee of Marty and McGee, longtime ESPN writer as well. We will preview the SEC season with him. And he's also got a new book out, Sidelines and Bloodlines. So really excited to talk about that with him, Ryan McGee. We'll also conclude our SEC East preview week. We'll go out to Nashville, talk with Greg Arias who pre- uh, to preview the Vanderbilt Commodores. Will they go 0-10? Will Derek Mason be let go? Greg will answer all of those questions. And the 2020 preseason coaches, all SEC football teams are out. We'll get into the biggest takeaways from those lists. I'm Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, the Locked On SEC, for free wherever you get your podcast. You'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each week, five days a week. All right, let's jump right into it. Let's discuss the all-conference or all-SEC preseason coaches teams that were just released yesterday. We'll start with the first team. We'll give you the offense. If you have not seen these yet, Kyle Trask, quarterback, Florida. Is it surprising that Kyle Trask is over Kellen Mond and Bo Nix? Not that surprising, but the pressure's on, Kyle. The pressure is on, Mr. Trask you got to be the best quarterback in the SEC this year. Now, look, I think there's other candidates that that very well could. We'll see if Miles Brennan can follow in the footsteps of Joe Burrow this year at LSU. We'll see about Mac Jones at Alabama. There's a lot of other guys that could be in this list, but I think Kellen Mond losing Jamon Osmond last week, opting out, that's a sting, a sting to him. But Kyle Trask, with the bevy of talent he's got around him, and Dan Mullen running that offense, Kyle Trask poised to be the better quarterback or the best quarterback in the SEC this year. Surrounding him on the first team preseason All-SEC. Remember, this is from the coaches. This isn't from the media. Two Alabama offensive linemen, Alex Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson. Center from Kentucky, Drake Jackson. And then two other offensive linemen, Darian Kennard from Kentucky and Trey Smith from Tennessee. Can't argue with those, but it just goes to show you, Alabama and Tennessee and Kentucky should all have three of the best offensive lines in the conference this year. Tight end, No-brainer, Kyle Pitts from Florida. He should have a big year. And then your wide receivers, two first-rounders in next year's draft, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Heck, both those guys could go top 20 in the draft next year. Uh, Jamar Chase probably going to be the first wide receiver taken out of LSU who has since opted out this season. And then you look at the backfield, Najee Harris at Alabama and Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. Can't argue with those. And the all-purpose player, Jalen Waddell. You know what my biggest takeaway from that is? Alabama brings back a lot of guys. Alabama doesn't have a lot of guys opting out, and Alabama's going to be loaded on offense. They didn't even mention something. I mean, they, you could basically put almost all of Alabama players on this whole first-team preseason All-SEC list. So that's my biggest takeaway there. On the defensive side of the ball, a little bit more balanced. In the secondary, you get two LSU guys and Derek Stingley Jr., the phenom. Has been so good as a young quarterback in this league and in the country, for that matter. Jacoby Stevens at safety. And then your other two, the other DB, Patrick Sertan out of Alabama. And Richard LeCount at uh, safety at Georgia. So, no surprise there in the secondary. Linebackers, it starts with Dylan Moses at Alabama. Probably would have been a, a high draft pick this year had he not gotten hurt uh, just before the start of last season. Nick Bolton at Missouri. One of the best players at Missouri this year. He's a, a guy to keep an eye on. And then K.J. Britt at Auburn, poised for a big season. In the trenches, 
get the big boy LeBron Ray from Alabama, Big Cat Bryant from Auburn, who I thought I thought would have put up some better when I was going through the numbers last year. I thought he would have had a little bit bigger year last year, but obviously there were two behemoths on that D-line next to him. I think Big Cat Bryant could have a monster year. And then Jordan Davis out of Georgia and Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M. So there you have it. That's your first team preseason All-SEC players. Just some other names of of note just kind of looking around. One thing that caught my eye, third-team offense, tight end Eric Gilbert out of LSU. He's a true freshman. Now, I know he was... One of the top players in the country, number one tight end in the country going to LSU. And he has wowed throughout fall camp and turned some heads. I just think it's such a gamble to put a kid that has not even played a snap of college football yet on a preseason all-SEC team. But supposedly the kid is that good. We'll see uh, We'll see what he looks like this year. Some other names of note. How about Wanya Morris making the list out of Tennessee? Second team preseason all-SEC there, word out of Knoxville, he may not even start for the fall, so we'll see what happens with him. A few other names we mentioned. Kellen Mond made a second team all preseason at quarterback. Rakeem Boyd, the running back from Arkansas, is on the second team. And Isaiah Spiller, who had a fantastic year last year at Texas A&M out of the backfield. He's poised for a big season. Your receivers on the second team. George Pickens out of Georgia. Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU. A lot of pressure will be put on him now with Jamar Chase opting out. And Jalen Watermeyer, Texas A&M tight end. A&M has found good production at the tight end spot in recent years. Uh, Second team defense, nothing really stands out other than Florida's always going to have good DBs, man. Marco Wilson, Kair Elam, always going to be, it just seems like Florida and DBs, they're always going to be preseason all-SEC. And then uh, on the third team, Alabama gets their center, Landon Dickerson on there, Evan Neal, one of their other offensive linemen. And then uh, just a couple other names to keep an eye on for the conference this year. Bo Nix from Auburn, obviously. How good will Bo Nix be? Boats for what kind of season Auburn's going to have. It will be the difference between an 8-1, 9-1 type season and potentially a 5-5, 6-4 type season for Auburn. Jaron Ely, running back from Ole Miss, is on here. And Larry Roundtree, the one big offensive weapon for Mizzou, also making this list. How about Kadarius Toney making all-purpose at Florida? He's one of those weapons, man, that I really feel like Dan Mullen can move all around. Use him in the slot. Use him on end-arounds. Use him all over that Florida offense. Uh, Real excited to see that Florida offense get to work. But there you have it. 18th consecutive year of the SEC Coaches preseason All-SEC teams. Coaches were not permitted to vote for their own players, but uh, it's a pretty good squad, man. It's a pretty good squad. A little bit deeper, I feel like, from recent years. Last year, it felt like it was very star-driven. You know, we, we had the stud quarterbacks and obviously Joe Burrow surpassing Tua, uh, you know, who I think everybody thought was, the, you know, the preseason all-SEC guy and was going to be the all-everything at quarterback. They still ended up going as first-round picks, but... Obviously, Burrow wins the Heisman, goes undefeated, wins the national championship, and goes as the number one pick in the draft. Look, these are it's not an exact science. They're not always right on these. I got a feeling, though, a lot of these guys that are on this first team are going to impress and be – when we get to the end of the year, I feel like we'll still be talking about Big Cat Bryant. We'll still be talking about Patrick Sertan, Dylan Moses. We'll still be talking about Nick Bolton at Missouri. I got a feeling this list is going to be pretty darn accurate in terms of the preseason guys to watch. All right, Ryan McGee, longtime ESPN writer, been covering college football for a really long time. He's got a new book out, Sidelines and Bloodlines, and of course, one of my favorite uh, shows to watch on the SEC Network and listen to on ESPN Radio is 
Marty and McGee. Ryan McGee joins us up next. A quick minute here for our friends at Built Bar. They are the best tasting protein bar ever. I know a lot of those protein bars out there, you get at health stores, they look good, and once you open them, they have that gross, chalky taste, and you end up taking a couple bites and throwing them away. That is not the case with Built Bar. They have got 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones. My favorite, the cookies and cream. It is so good, you don't even realize what you're eating is actually good for you. You can grab one after a workout, or look, if you're just looking to lose or maintain your weight, try to get away from some of those fast foods, this could be a great option for you if you're looking to go down that path. Built Bars are low in calories, low in sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And just head to BuiltBar.com. You want to use the promo code LOCKEDON. You will get $10 off your next order, but you have to use the promo code Locked On. You get $10 off, and you'll be on your way to eating better, feeling better as you get ready for this SEC football season at BuiltBar.com. Rolled on here on the Locked On SEC podcast. And look, when we're talking SEC football, nobody better than to get on half of the grouping of Marty and McGee from the SEC Network. Of course, longtime ESPN writer. He's got a new book out, Sidelines and Bloodlines. The one and only Ryan McGee joins us now. Ryan, what's up, man? I'm good, man. We're just, uh, I live in Charlotte, so we're getting the. Uh... Uh, all that rain from the hurricane is drifting through. So this is, I got nothing but time. I can't go outside. So this is a good day to talk to me. Yeah, man. We were just in, um, in Gulf Shores about three weeks ago and I'm seeing all the pictures from out there. My goodness, the, the damage they've, they've sustained. I know that's, uh, that's prime SEC country when we talk South Alabama, South Florida, West Georgia. So thoughts and prayers to everybody out there, but crazy that's stretching all the way to you guys in Charlotte. Well, that's how it works. You know, we either get them coming right at us in North Carolina uh, from the East Coast, or we get them uh, when they after they come through the Gulf. We get all the rain afterward. But yeah, been thinking about all of our friends down that way, and uh, um, you know, it's uh, it could have been worse, but it was still pretty bad. So, uh, so yeah, you're right, exactly right. Our thoughts are with all those folks. Yeah, it almost feels like it's not a real, it's not college football season until we got hurricanes coming our way. But right. Let's... Yeah. Exactly right. Well, and I, I've been to. And you, I mean, you you mentioned the the, the book, and the, or we're going to talk about the sidelines, the bloodlines. My dad had he had two games in hurricanes, and he had one where he got stuck in New Orleans in the hotel for four days because of a hurricane. Wow! And uh, and so it's yeah, it's not college football season. If uh, if we're not dodging really gigantic storms, well, let's talk about the book. What was the? Uh, is this something just growing up with your dad being a, a college referee for all those years and growing up on the sidelines? I mean, it, it almost feels like this book wrote itself. Like, how long ago did you know I'm writing this book about my dad and my family? Well, if you've ever spent any time with any college football officials um, or any—I mean, any any sports official of any kind, an NBA official or the, or the guy who umpires your kids' t-ball games on the weekends—they'll all say the same thing, which is, uh, "Man, I could write a book." And and that's always been the running joke because you get all those guys together, men and women both, and they just start telling stories, and they're all off the chart. And um, and my dad, obviously, over the course of you know 400 games. You know, at the FBS level, he got a lot of stories, covering a couple dozen bowl games and national championships and the whole thing. But a lot of the best stories are from high school and small college that he worked. So, yeah, 
the joke was always, man, I, I, I could write a book. And I went to dad a couple of years ago. I, think, I said, I think we could actually write a book. <laughs> I think we could really do this. And so my dad, my brother, and I sat down and, uh, and, and kind of tried to recall all these great stories we've had over the years. And it's, uh, it was just a labor of love. I mean, it's, it's, that's a cliche, but in this case, it's the absolute truth. Yeah, it's uh, I, I got the, a copy of the book at home, and it's on my, sitting on my nightstand. I can't r- wait to uh, to dig into it. Is it how much is is it mainly just about your dad and just and you and your brother and the experience you you guys had had as a kid? How much football content is, is in there? Oh no, it's, it's all it's it's full of football content. And what's crazy is just so you know, dad was an ACC and Big East official, but the reality is he worked games everywhere. And, you know, the way that it works is if a team goes on the road, you know, if, if, if NC State goes and plays at Ohio State, they, they bring the officials, they bring a crew. And, you know, when Dad was in the Big East, if, you know, uh, Rutgers was playing at Notre Dame or at Michigan or wherever, Dad, Dad went. And so he's been all over the place, and, and he's worked bowl games from one end of the country to the other. And so, yeah, it's so much football. It's just story after story, you know. But then we take those stories. And and the title of the book to me sums it up, Sidelines and Bloodlines, because you have all the great stories. You know, if you've ever wondered what the referee is, is getting screamed at by the coach and what the referee sometimes is screaming back, we talk about that. Dad tells those stories <laughs> and how he learned football and how my brother and I learned football. But it's also about our family because it played such a huge role uh, in my childhood. And, and quite frankly, it's why I do what I do for a living now. Is <laughs> And my brother is an attorney. And he talks all the time about how he leans back on the lessons that we learned through football, you know, when he's in a courtroom. So, so if you, I'm I, listen, I'm not, I'm not naive. I don't believe that I'm going to suddenly convince everyone to love referees. <laughs> However, <laughs> I do think you might respect them a little more by the time the book's over with. Sidelines and Bloodlines is the book. You can find it. Uh, it's on Amazon or wherever you uh, find uh, books are sold. Uh, Ryan, a couple football questions. We are less than a week away from the SEC football season getting started. First off, I never thought we would get here, but here we are. Your thoughts when you heard the conference was going to go all conference and playing SEC on SEC for 10 straight weeks? Well, it's crazy. And, you know, and you always heard the argument um, – you know, about the SEC, you know, well, you know, we play the toughest conference and the toughest schedule and the toughest gauntlet. And, you know, imagine what it would be like if we play every week. Well, they're doing that now. Now, now I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little bummed because, you know, I live in North Carolina, right on the South Carolina border. And, and I don't like a fall where I don't have Florida, Florida State and South Carolina, Clemson and Georgia, Georgia Tech and, and all those cross-conference games between the ACC and the SEC. But for a year, I think we'll all survive, but 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 as a result, it, the schedule's crazy, and there's no time uh, to ramp things up. I was talking to Mike Leach about this. I mean, you know, you take the job at Mississippi State, and you're like, well, what do we need to do to get to the next level? Well, the first thing you got to do is worry about LSU week one, <laughs> and so you know, same for all these first year coaches and uh, in the SEC. So I I, um, I don't like missing the rivalry weekend, but I also love the idea of. You know, everybody's doing things a little differently in 2020. And they're whether it's baseball or NASCAR or college football, they're trying some of the things that we've always wondered, well, what if they did this? What if, What would that look like? And they're doing it. 
Um, but I'm glad I don't have to coach that schedule. Say that. <laughs> I'm real disappointed we didn't get an SEC media days this year. Look, I get it, you know, safety and, and all that sort of thing. But, you know, one of the best parts of going to SEC media days is you get to see the coaches. And, man, this may be the best collection of coaches we've had in the SEC. Uh, look, Zoom calls and all that are fun, but it's just different when you get that person, that coach in person. Man, I would have loved to have seen some interviews with uh, you and Marty Smith interviewing Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin on the set at SEC Media Days. That was our biggest disappointment is we've done these talking season specials every year where we've interviewed the coaches. We've done This would have been, I think, the third year we've done it. And you kidding me, man? We were going to get Leach and Sam Pittman, who can't stop screaming "Yes, sir!" at everybody, and 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 Lane, and you know, and, and, and the Pirates. I, one of my favorite days in the history of my job was actually supposed to be a one-day gig, and it turned into three days. I went out to Washington State and had never really dealt with Mike Leach a lot, um, but I went out to Washington State, and they had this was three or four years ago. They they were undefeated, had a huge game against USC at home on a Friday night. And I went out there the first part of the week, and I was supposed to be there one day, and I stayed for three. And it was one of the most bizarre yet enjoyable educational experiences I've ever had with a head coach. So, yeah, as a reporter, as a writer, and just as a fan, um, not being able to interact with these guys in person, you're exactly right. But the, but the biggest crime of all is the fact that uh, Marty and I were not able to sit down and have – what would have surely been a bizarre conversation with Leach. And, and Lane Kiffin's in the book. There, Lane, when Lane Kiffin's father, Monty Kiffin, was the head coach at NC State briefly in the early 80s. And I grew up in Raleigh. And so my dad would work uh, NC State scrimmages. He couldn't work games because we lived there in the same city as the school. But he worked scrimmages all the time. And my brother and I would play football on the hillside at the Carter-Finley Stadium with the sons of the coaches. And there was this one little punk kid who drove us crazy. And we're trying to play, you know, football with a plastic nerf, or like nerf football, and this one kid is calling, like, DPIs and holding. <laughs> and we're like, who is this jerk? And at one point, Monty Kiffin had to stop practice and blew the whistle and went, Lane, shut up. You're ruining my practice. And so then fast forward 25 years, and my brother calling me, and he goes, I think that punk kid – from the hillside at NC State just got the freaking Raiders job. And so, yeah, to get a chance to have that conversation with uh, with Lane Kiffin in person, we'll have to wait till next year. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And, of course, seeing the, the commercials with you guys in the pickup truck and the different coaches. Can't wait to get those moments back. Um, quick thought just on the landscape of the SEC. It feels like – it's Bama versus everybody in the SEC West, just with everything LSU lost. Texas A&M's best receiver opts out. Uh, and then in the East, it looks like it's it's a foot race between Florida and Georgia. But the more and more I look at this Florida roster, I start to think that they may be the top dog. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and I, I owe Florida fans an apology because I have not talked about them enough. And, you know, suddenly uh, when Georgia had a couple of opt-outs and had some questions at quarterback and all of a sudden I'm like, well, now wait a minute. This Florida roster doesn't look too bad. <laughs> and I hadn't paid enough attention to them. And then suddenly when they popped up ranked so high uh, in the AP preseason poll. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of old school. I mean, you know, you go back to the inaugural SEC championship game. And, and when that game first started in the early 90s, it felt like it was, you know, Alabama and Florida every year. And uh, it looks like we could, we could go back to that. And, um, you know, the last time we had that matchup, 
Florida lost that game within about the first five minutes. So I feel like uh, this is a better team than that. So, yeah, uh, Florida, Alabama. Just you know, I was a student at Tennessee then. And I always remember when the first, when the inaugural SEC championship game was played, there was one of the local stations was on campus interviewing students. And they were just asking, all right, as a Tennessee fan, uh, who are you rooting for tonight, Alabama or Florida? And my answer was a meteor strike. <laughs> That's a good, that's a great response. Talking with uh, Ryan McGee, senior writer at ESPN, of course, the new book, uh, Sidelines and Bloodlines. Uh, one more football question for you, Ryan. Uh, the SEC, we did mention playing 10, 10 straight games of SEC versus SEC. Is it possible? I, I mean, maybe not even possible, but likely we have a team that goes 0-10 this year. I mean, I'm looking at Vandy and Arkansas and some of the, the teams that are kind of struggling roster-wise. You think we have a team go 0-10? Yeah, I think there's a chance, and and I think that, you know, um, like I say, I, everyone will tell you that, that this schedule was put together, and you know, with, with all good intentions in mind. But um, if you're a new head coach this year, I feel like you might be getting hazed a little bit. So if it's funny, when so when the schedule was released, I was actually in Boone, North Carolina, with my family, uh, and uh, Eli Drinkwitz, the new coach at Missouri was at App State last year, had a, had a fantastic year. And I was only there one season, and I just happened to be looking into Kid Brewer Stadium there at App State. It's a beautiful stadium, and that's where his office was. And at listening to the radio as the new schedule was released, and as they went through Missouri's schedule, I texted Drinkwitz. I go, I'm standing right outside App State Stadium. You could probably get your old office back if you want it. <laughs> it's, it's, but, yeah, but there's a chance. I think there's a real chance. But it's also the SEC. And, and we've learned that uh, just about the time we're like, well, this team's terrible. Uh, they usually can pull a rabbit out of a hat, and, and there's going to be a couple teams that are going to have to do that. Yeah, that's what I love. It's just, you know, no games against the Citadel or, you know, and, and all due respect to those schools, but I just love, you know, yeah, it, on paper it looks like, oh, we got Arkansas this week. We can let our guard down. But as you said, it's SEC football, so you always have to bring your A game. The only thing I'm hoping for, Ryan, is – Florida may be like undefeated going into that last week against Tennessee, and I hope it snows in Knoxville. I think that'd be hilarious to see Florida have to adapt and play in snow. Yeah, I'm all for it. And, and, and my, my old college roommate from Tennessee, he was in the Air Force, and he was stationed in Pensacola for a while. And what I learned very quickly was you don't have to live in Florida very long for that blood to learn how to completely reject any sort of snow. <laughs> you can't even hardly turn the air conditioner on to those people. So, yeah, it would be interesting. To have, and what, too, what's crazy about the schedule is you got that added game at the end, and you have Tennessee-Florida at the end, but then there's a lot of schools – like you play the Egg Bowl and the Iron Bowl, and then you have a game the next week. <laughs> and and to me, that's crazy. I mean, I'm really curious to see, uh, you know, what kind of effect that has. But, yeah, that last weekend uh, could be potentially bonkers. And now that last weekend will be happening while the Big Ten's playing. And so uh, it suddenly got a lot more crazy than even when it was going to be to start off with. What's the plan with you and Marty throughout the season? I mean, are y'all still doing the going to just keep doing the show remotely? Are you going to travel to any campuses as things maybe start to open up? What's the What's the plan here? Well, we're working on the traveling part. I know Marty actually is going to be working the Georgia Tech game this weekend, and he'll be doing Marty McGee from Atlanta while I'm in the, the Wilderness Lodge studio uh, here in Charlotte. But our plan – you're actually going to get a double dose of Marty McGee because usually we shut the radio show down on Saturday mornings during football because we're both so busy. But this year, uh, not only have we added a third hour to the radio show on Saturday mornings, now we're going to do the Saturday morning radio show simulcast on SEC Network 
the, the Wednesday TV show comes back in two weeks. So uh, now you get a double dose. Now you get Marty <laughs> McGee on Wednesday nights, and you also get a whole other Marty McGee on Saturday mornings. And um, it's either going to be the greatest idea or the worst idea <laughs> in SEC Network history. We'll find out. What I love is, and you guys, are, I guess it's just it's early on a Saturday morning. Like, you guys read tweets. I mean, y'all are so interactive. You're reading everything the listeners are sending in. And I don't, me and my wife lay in bed just watching you guys on TV. It's, it's entertaining. You got the hillbilly headlines. So – I really love it, and um, you guys do an awesome job. Congrats with uh, with all the well, success. Well, I, I appreciate it, and he he's my friend, you know. And and in the end, we've been friends for twenty years. So, in the end, uh, we just can't believe we literally will get done with the show and walk out into the parking lot and look at each other like they just let us do that like on television. <laughs> so we're uh, we're still a little surprised at the whole thing, but yeah, uh, shout out to you and your wife in bed. Johnny Carson used to always talk about doing the Tonight Show while people were in bed, and I have learned. Uh, that people lay in bed and listen to our show too. It's just it's uh, they're waking up as opposed to trying to go to sleep. Yeah, and getting stories about drunk people in Walmart parking lots. You know that's that's just a ritual hey, for us. Hey, hey, listen, Florida's greatest export is not football <laughs> talent or orange juice. It's the hillbilly headline. <laughs> he is Ryan McGee. Give him a follow on Twitter at ESPN McGee. And uh, Ryan, one more time, the book uh, Sidelines and Bloodlines on sale now, available wherever you can find it. I, I cannot wait to dig into it. And uh, best of luck with the book, man. Hey, I appreciate it and uh, and uh, love the show. Have it, call me anytime. Awesome, great. Thanks so much, Ryan McGee there of uh, ESPN, and again the book Sidelines and Bloodlines. Great to talk with him, and uh, he and Marty do a great job. Marty and McGee on SEC Network. Locked on SEC, Chris Gordy. We're going around the SEC East all this week, and last. But hopefully not least, the Vanderbilt Commodores, our last team to preview across the SEC East. And uh, the guy who covers them knows all things Vanderbilt Commodores is Greg Arias, who works for uh, SI.com covering Vanderbilt. Greg, how are you, man? I'm well. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. Let's jump right into it, Greg, because, uh, look, when I saw this conference schedule was going to 10 conference games, I said, well, Vanderbilt's not going to be happy about that. Um, tell me this Vanderbilt team's not going to go winless this year. Well, there is a really good possibility that that happens. And, you know, the sad part is that I think this team might be better than the team that they had a season ago. But short of uh, just Missouri, who obviously was their only conference win a season ago, I don't see a win on this schedule realistically. Now, they could surprise. Certainly they have 11 starters returning on defense and a, a few pieces here and there on offense. But it's most likely going to be a true freshman starting at quarterback, especially against A&M when uh, we come down there on the 26th. And so, you know, to be honest and realistic, there's not a lot of hope for a win on this schedule if they can't upend Missouri and Columbia. Yeah, did I see it's a whole new room of quarterbacks this year? Absolutely. The, all four, two junior college transfers and two freshmen uh, in that quarterback room. So uh, while two of the kids have played you know, some college football at the JUCO level, and one of them, Danny Clark, was actually at Kentucky. He signed with UK out of high school. 
but never got any meaningful playing time there. Left there, transferred, went to JUCO, did his uh, two years there, and now is back here at Vanderbilt back in the SEC. So certainly I think he's got SEC talent, but no experience. And so, yes, it's a totally new uh, group of quarterbacks that are working with Todd Fitch, the new offensive coordinator, trying to figure this thing out uh, without the benefit of much of a spring practice. They had just three dates there and without all of the other practice that uh, was missed because of the the pandemic. I guess if there's one positive, Greg, this defense is loaded with experience and guys who've been there done that, and they're led by Dimitri Moore, who I know said uh, you know several weeks ago he was opting out, and then after thinking on it, decided to come back. I guess that's a good guy to have as your leader on the defensive side. Absolutely. He is an outstanding player. He is an all-caliber uh, conference all-conference caliber player I should say uh, and probably one of the few that will get a lot of buzz there uh, preseason or even during the season so getting him back was a bonus Ted Roof who is the new defensive coordinator uh, this year coming in has praised him and his work since he's returned uh, to the team in the last week and a half or so and uh, so that certainly bolsters that now the thing i think about this defense they've got some depth this year especially on the defensive front they had a couple of kids transfers that set out last year malik langham is the the big name of those he was actually at the university of florida and transferred to vanderbilt had to sit uh last season to be able to be eligible now so uh some more depth there so this Vanderbilt team could remind us of the Woody Woodenhopper days where the defenses were really good and could keep them in games, but the offense just couldn't get it done, and they would lose you know, 21 to 17 or, or 10 to 7 games in conference play because the defense could hold up for three and a half quarters, and then it would let it slip away in the end because the offense couldn't do anything to help them. When I look at the schedule, Greg, I mean, I see it six top 25 you know, preseason teams on this schedule out of, out of the 10, and then four of those are top 10 teams, which, you know, you start the season on the road at Texas A&M. Does maybe, you know, the, the smaller fan, atten- fan attendance, I know most of the stadiums saying 20 to 25%. So going on the road for Vanderbilt, I guess at least you won't have to deal with the hostile environments. Maybe that helps a little bit. Well, I certainly think it does. And, you know, this is the sad part, and I've written this, uh, but at home games, of course, being in the city of Nashville, the mayor and the local government have said no fans for any September games uh, for Vanderbilt or for the Titans. Well, Vanderbilt got lucky. There's no September games. So hopefully they'll allow some fans in by October, but it's not looking good. So if Vanderbilt has to play at home, especially with the first game against LSU, who came in here last year and absolutely took over the stadium, it was all purple, it was all Tiger fans, this would actually be a blessing to have a home game with nobody there because then the (laughs) opponent can't come in and take over the place. And it's a sad commentary that I say that, but that's a fact that, you know, people have have discussed around here. Derek Mason's been asked about it. I mean, it's a reality that we have to look at. And the crazy part is it's not for lack of talent. I mean, you guys at Vanderbilt has put a ton of guys into the NFL. You know, I'm just watching this past week, Zach Cunningham all over the field for the Texans. You know, Keyshawn Vaughn ends up a, a rookie with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's, there's Vanderbilt players all up and down the NFL, so it's, it's not for lack of talent. Absolutely. The, the talent level has gone up here, and it really kind of started with the end of the Bobby Johnson era. Of course, he had Jay Cutler, and Cutler pulled off the upset of UT in Knoxville that Vanderbilt hadn't won in 
22 years, I think, uh, if memory serves, before Cutler and that bunch got it done. And then, as you mentioned, Zach Cunningham and several others that uh, have come here and played. So they're getting some talent. They're doing some things. But it's hard to get that marginal guy. You've got a guy that's offered that can get in academically for one because of the restrictions and the standards here. Uh, but they're offered here or they're offered at Alabama or Texas A&M or Georgia, Florida. Well, when they look at the facilities, yes, you're probably going to get a little bit of a higher quality of education, and that's not to knock any of those other schools. They're outstanding academically, but Vanderbilt is is what Vanderbilt is there where they are for a reason. Uh, But they go to these other schools because of what the the benefits of the program and the facilities that they have and what they can provide. So, you know, they lose out to a lot of kids, or not a lot of kids, but some kids that could be difference makers here uh, because they're offered by other SEC programs. And so Derek May has had some struggles with that. James Franklin had some struggles with that, despite the fact that he was able to win some games when he was here. Let me ask you, Greg, last thing with Derek Mason. I mean, look, we all understand the difficult situation that everybody's under, having to play a conference-only schedule, but let me ask you, is Derek Mason on the hot seat? And, I mean, would they consider firing him in a year where he has a million excuses for, you know, if things go wrong? Well, you know, that's been one of the big questions because – the buyout, he wasn't fired after last season. Of course, some of that came with the Malcolm Turner, who was the athletic director that had uh, followed David Williams, who had been here a long time. And then, of course, Turner uh, was here just a little over a year and left, and now Candace Lee has assumed the position. So uh, Derek wasn't fired, but he's got a rather large buyout. It was $18 million at the end of last season, so that played a role in why likely wasn't dismissed last year and i think that uh buyout's only going to fall down to about uh, 12 to 13 million this year if what i've been told is correct so that's another reason why yes he's on the hot seat with fans and obviously the media saying that you know he's likely to be fired the record certainly deserves to be fired and he has said as much but I'm not sure that it will happen, as you said, because of the million excuses he has and because of that buyout. We could well see him come out of this season and be the head coach again next year, even if they go on 10. It will be uh, interesting to see. And, uh, look, I'm, I'm not hoping for anybody to go 0-10. And as we know, Greg, in the SEC on any given week, somebody can bounce up and beat somebody they're not supposed to. So uh, we will see. It'll be a fun season. And here's hoping we can all do it safely and get through it. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. Greg Arias covers uh, Vanderbilt for SI. Uh, let our listeners know, Greg, where they can find your work. You can find it. It's uh, si.com backslash college backslash Vanderbilt. Great stuff, Greg. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll we'll definitely have to do this again during the season. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Greg. I really appreciate it, man. All right. Have a good day. Greg Arias there of SI.com covering uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores. And look, we get it. They're they're a team that's probably going to finish dead last in the SEC this year, but nonetheless... Uh, they could sneak up on somebody and beat somebody they're not supposed to this year just because of the brutalness of the schedule. You know, look, if you're a, a Tennessee or a Kentucky and, you know, you've just gone through a dogfight of two back-to-back games against tough opponents and suddenly you get Vanderbilt, they could catch you sleeping. So you never know in this uh, crazy 10-conference game season. That is just about going to do it on today's show. But before we go, I saw this just came out uh, this afternoon. Uh, From the SEC, they have established uh, football game cancellation and rescheduling policies. The uh, SEC announced today policies and parameters for football game cancellations and rescheduling. To play a football game, the SEC has established 
minimum threshold that you must have at least 53 scholarship players available to participate and the minimum at a couple of positions. Seven offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, and one quarterback. The impacted institution has the option to play the game with fewer than those 53 players or fewer than the minimum number of position players if it elects to do so. Otherwise, upon approval by Greg Sankey, the game would be rescheduled or declared a no contest. In addition, should an institution determine there are compelling reasons why it cannot begin a game regardless of the scholarship and position minimums listed, the institution may request to have the game rescheduled or if the game cannot be rescheduled for the game to be considered a no contest. Uh, remember, uh, all SEC teams, you have your bye week that was scheduled and then all teams are scheduled off the weekend of December 12th. Remember, the SEC championship is scheduled for December 19th in Atlanta. So every team kind of has a two-week leeway if they need to reschedule. Now, the problem is you got to make sure it falls on the bye week of the team that uh, you're having to reschedule with, or you'll just both schedule that December 12th week uh, leading up to the SEC title game. So there's a contingency plan in place, but again, does not leave much room for error there. But I get the SEC is trying to do what they can't, what they have to with the uh, the limitations there to make sure that they're not putting a one a bad product on the field but two you know what if a team's whole quarterback room gets test positive and none of them can play are you going to run wildcat uh well it seemed to work okay with kentucky putting lynn bowden back there quarterback last year but regardless uh I totally understand what they're doing there but again good news for the sec they've allowed themselves two weeks of leeway on the schedule whereas the big 10 they're going to try to play eight games in eight weeks Good luck with that. That is going to do it for this edition of the Locked On SEC Podcast. Appreciate all of our guests, Ryan McGee, Greg Arias. It's been a great way previewing the SEC East. Next week, we will preview the SEC West. Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's will stop by, as well as some other big-name guests. You do not want to miss it. Subscribe now. Locked On SEC five days a week. And by the way, give our buddy Zach Blackerby a follow and a listen over at the Locked On Auburn Podcast. He'll join us next week to talk all things Auburn Tigers. This is Locked On SEC. Have a great weekend, everybody. One more week before SEC football is back.